0: Hello and welcome back for episode 36 of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. I had a nice uh, little few weeks off uh, on a holiday in uh, Europe, and I'm glad to be back in Australia now, back to work and getting back on the grind. It's been a few weeks since last episode, so I must apologize to all the listeners out there who have been uh, patiently waiting for the next episode, but this one is a fantastic one. In this interview, I sat down with Dr. David Atiyah, who's a general dentist in Sydney, Australia. He is one of the top young dentists that I've had the pleasure of chatting to on this podcast. He does fantastic work in implant dentistry, in soft tissue grafting, um, and even orthodontics. He is a true CPD junkie, guys, and a real testament to the hard work and dedication it takes to be a top clinician in this day and age. Uh, Dr. David Atia has done a master's of science in oral implantology. He's done a grad diploma in orthodontics and is currently teaching his own course on implants with partners they've done a modular based implant course which uh, keep an eye on his instagram page for updates and they're also doing uh, live patient courses which is fantastic opportunity for anyone who's interested in implant dentistry to kind of get their hands wet and get that early experience if you've been enjoying the episodes of the newbie dentist podcast it would be fantastic if you could uh, head over to itunes and rate and give a review for the podcast Also, if you got friends or colleagues or classmates who you think might benefit from the information and knowledge kind of shared on the podcast and think that they may get some great value from it, please kindly pass it along so we can grow the listener base for the podcast. Without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn,
1: and grow. The Newbie Dentist podcast aims to provide high quality and high value content for all the newbie dentists out there.
0: With your host, Dr. Omidazami. So, I'm here with uh, David Atia who's kindly come on again. We actually got together uh, about a week or so ago and recorded a podcast, and unfortunately from my end of things that the uh, podcast was worst nightmare and had a bit of a glitch and lost the audio file so uh thankfully he's agreed to come back on and we're gonna give this thing another go and um, i'm sure it'll be better the second time around so it'll be more value for you guys uh listening to the podcast david thanks uh thanks again for coming back on the show i really appreciate you taking the time uh during the holiday
1: period no, my pleasure man my pleasure it's always good to have a chat
0: so like we normally do uh if you don't mind we'll kind of just get into a bit of a origin story talk about your background a little bit you know your journey through dental school and then uh, we'll kind of pick up from there
1: sure um, so my family and I moved to Australia when probably I was uh, five years old. Um, I was born, uh, born in Cairo, Egypt, and we moved here when I was uh, five years and two months. Um, lived most of my life in Sydney, um, and then uh, it was kind of a, a bit of a shock for the family to be the first person to move out of home for uni. When I yeah. <laughs> to the and uh, spent my five years there. Um, and then I spent some time in Melbourne working and, uh, for the last three and a half years, I've been working in Townsville, North Queensland.
0: Awesome. So what was it like, um, when you finished up dental school, finding work, what made you move back to Melbourne, you know, like being from Sydney, like how come you chose to come to Melbourne for work instead of staying in Queensland or going to Sydney?
1: It was interesting because I think uh, the first day I set foot on the Gold Coast, I said, you know, the day I finished is the day I moved back to Sydney. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in this day and age with dentistry and, and healthcare in general, actually, it's, it's, it's quite saturated with work and uh, it can be hard for a new graduate to, to find work. And I'm talking five years ago now, it's probably you know, e- even harder. So yeah. when I, when I graduated, I think, you know, I, I flew down to Sydney and I handed you know, well over 200 resumes in practices in Sydney. I think I visited every practice on the Gold Coast and yeah. a few friends that worked in Melbourne, most of which, uh, three or four of which worked in a clinic that was uh, that was quite nice. It offered you know, all aspects of dentistry uh, ortho surgery implants wisdom teeth um, general dental etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know I, I was I was kind of looking for a job that would set me on the right path to go to where I wanted to be uh, yeah. you, know, when you graduate you you think you know everything <laughs> um, you know uh, you can tackle on every single case uh, that- yeah Away and, you know, it's it's not as glamorous as it, as it appears to be. So I found a clinic that had, um, you know, uh, offered all disciplines of dentistry, but also had a, a lot of dentists. Uh, yeah. had I think uh, 20 dentists.
0: Wow. It's a big
1: practice. Yeah. Big practice across two locations. Um, and it was an opportunity to be able to learn from, you know, 15, 16, 20 different people at any given time, you know. So when I made the move there, I, I knew some friends as well, which made the, the move a little bit easier, yeah. um, but uh, that was my kind of thought process. Uh, you know, it'll be a couple of years, a sacrifice to kind of learn and, and, and get started on the right foot and hopefully get motivated to do some, uh, some further further education.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting you know, when you finish up school, there's so many different sort of career paths you can take and so many different, you know, courses and things that are, are available to, you know, new grads. Um, looking now, obviously you're, you know, five or six years out. Uh, you're doing a lot of, you know, implant work, a lot of surgery, some soft tissue grafting and things like that, which, you know, you're pretty active on Instagram and posting on there. Mm. Well, looking back now, uh, are you where you thought you would be like this point in your career? Um, or are you like ahead of where you thought you would be? And like, how has that been like the first five or six years of your, of your practicing uh, life?
1: To be honest, when I graduated, I kind of set a goal in my mind to kind of uh, set, build a foundation in the first three or four years that you can kind of build on. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, I think looking, looking back five or six years ago, if somebody told me I'd be living in Townsville for three and a half years, I would have probably laughed and said, no way in the world. <laughs> yeah. um, but you kind of go where, where you feel you'll be able to benefit the most and we'll be able to help people the most. Um, I think uh, where I am now is, is probably far from where I thought I would be uh, when I graduated uni. Um, I think I remember one thing uh, Barat told me when I first graduated. He said, if you can drill straight when you graduate from uni, you've done yeah. well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, that was, um, that, was a, that was a very, very uh, confronting statement because, you know, you, you mm-hmm. graduate from uni as a new graduate, you know, and you, you know a lot. You know a lot of theory. Because that's what the uni teaches you. Um, it teaches you theory. It teaches you what's predictable. Um, but sometimes it doesn't always touch on what, what you'll see in real life. So yeah, to, to go into clinical practice, a private clinical practice, um, with that mentality is that, you know, I know very little. Um, and every day you'll know more than what you knew yesterday. We hope, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So looking back, I think uh, I've been influenced by a, a number of people, um, positively and negatively. Um, because you'll get that in life. It's not just, you know, all uh, all uphill. And um, it's it's it kind of sets the, the foundation for you to build on, uh, acquire new skills, know where your deficiencies lie and then seek out to kind of fill those deficiencies uh, in yeah. your college and in your, in your clinical skill. Um, and you find that over time your, your hand skills do improve. Your hand skills do improve. Uh, I remember I, <laughs> ashamed to say, but I failed SimLab in second year. Yeah. <laughs> I was there with you, man. <laughs> I remember we had the uh
0: had the like the interior approximals is like in the second year. <laughs> um i we at the exam and i'm like prepping it from like the lingual and like i fully like perforated like buckle like enamel like my heart sank i'm like oh my god i'm gonna like fail this like for sure <laughs> so i called the guy over he's like yeah you're gonna fail this one just do your best uh, with like restoring it and we'll see what we can do and i was like All right. yeah. uh, so every every time i do one now on a patient like i'm always like thinking back i'm like only this patient knew like i barely got through this like in dental school like it'd be pretty funny so obviously you've you've invested heavily in um you know, educating yourself and upgrading your skills, and you know, learning a lot more in depth um, than what dental school provided, like in certain you know, in implants and ortho and things like that. Um, so, for the new guys listening, or you know, some of the other dentists who are like me, are you know, a couple of years out now and just trying to figure out how we can kind of improve and just kind of move away from just that regular basic general dentistry. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about some of the courses you've taken, which ones you find to be most valuable and uh, how you got kind of implemented these courses into your day-to-day practice now.
1: Um, Like for me, I had a goal when I graduated to, to cover a couple of disciplines that I wanted to, that I had really, really big interest for. Um, So I guess the advice will be different for for every new graduate. Uh, It really comes down to what your interest is. Uh, You know, I've got some colleagues who graduated, their interest was in peds. I have others whose interest was in endo. Um, So I think find what your your interest is when you graduate uni and kind of pursue that. Um, Find a clinic that offers um, that aspect of dentistry. Um, And if you can immerse yourself in that for long enough, you'll know whether this discipline is what you want to do. Um, I mean, when I graduated, th- th- there's a reason why they say you can't specialize within the first two years of clinical practice. Yeah. Uh, when I first graduated, th- my first uh, formal CPD was a, uh, was author. So I spent two years um, doing uh, orthodontic 12-module program, uh, which was quite intense, very, very practical, and a big, big eye-opener um, for all other disciplines. I still do a fair bit of author, but over time, you find that your interest, uh, what you thought it was in, in a particular discipline might change. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think if you spend enough time in a particular discipline, you'll know, uh, yeah, this is for me uh, and you'll keep going um, or you'll venture out into other disciplines and uh, and the learning process continues, you know. So
0: what, what about sort of, you know, you talked about. You know, for example, ortho, like the, the course of treatment is quite long. Um, so you might start it and you had, you know, some one year or 18 months or something like that, that sometimes you got to stick with the patient. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of us are pretty short-sighted and we want like quick, quick treatment, like in and out, get it done. Incorporating implants. Um, you know, you moved on from ortho to some implant courses and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more detail, sort of like with the training that you've done and the pros and cons of each one. How is that, um, you know, being incorporated into your practice daily? Like, you know, when you talk to a patient. Especially as an associate working, you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna be here in this practice like a year's time from now. So it's tricky to like I feel like until you're like rooted somewhere for a while, I mm-hmm. can't just start placing implants and then be like, oh, I'm gonna might not be here in six months' time to like follow this through or uh, even worse with ortho. So what what kind of advice would you have around that with like treatments and is it better to be a practice owner first or be in a long-term association before you kind of get into these bigger um, programs and, and trainings?
1: Look, it's an interesting question. I mean, I've thought about it myself um, a lot. I mean, did I choose the right path? I mean, I'm, I'm not a practice owner at the moment. Uh, so, and I've got friends that are practice owners who who took the practice ownership path a little bit earlier on in their career. Um, and I don't think there's a really uh, a, a right or wrong answer. I think I felt, uh, I was fortunate enough to be in two clinics for a long enough period of time to be able to uh, feel comfortable to do quite comprehensive treatment uh, for those patients because, you know, I'd either been there for a while or my intention was to stay for a while. Um, so when it comes to uh, your question type uh, in terms of implant work, um, I didn't really feel that I, I couldn't offer the service because, you know, I was going to up and go in six months' time. Um, and I was also in an environment which uh, was very supportive of me doing comprehensive work. Um, yeah. Principal did similar treatment to to what I did. So in the event that I was going to up and leave for whatever reason or emergency or or you know, then there was always somebody to take over the treatment. And uh, it really came down to developing a good relationship um, with who you work with. Um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of practices will offer many disciplines of dentistry, but restrict their associates from doing it at least for six to twelve months. Um, you know, they all have that probation period, you know, and the probation period works both ways. It works from an associate's point of view and from an owner. If within six months you find that this clinic's not for you, it's not all that it was promised to be or, or whatever it is, then you kind of, uh, cut your losses and, uh, and move on early. You know, um, my practice that I work in, in Townsville offers uh, almost every type of treatment. Uh, we do refer when we need to. Uh, And that's an important part of uh, clinical practice. And I think when you do more CPD um, and more invasive, more intensive courses, I should say, you realize what cases really shouldn't be touched. Um, And that's what our specialists are for. Because Specialists are there. They've they've immersed themselves in that discipline for years and years and years. Um, And uh, some cases really ought to be treated by specialists.
0: Yeah. Did you, when you graduate uh, dental school, ever like think about specializing or was it always that you want to be a GP and just like have skills to kind of do it, like a bit of everything?
1: Well, when I graduated, like we were, we were almost seduced by the notion of these weekend courses. Um, yeah. I had friends that done weekend courses in implants, weekend courses in ortho. And I was, you know, I graduated saying, yeah, I'll spend a weekend doing ortho, a weekend doing uh, <laughs> implants. And that's it. I'm, I'm kind of set, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, specializing never crossed my mind um, that early on. I kind of focused on just developing some basic skills and uh, and like I mentioned to you, building a foundation that I can kind of improve on. Um, and then when you look back and you 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 see the type of treatments that you can offer and the multidisciplinary approach to dentistry, um, but personally, I think uh, if I were to specialise, it would uh, it would restrict me a little bit in in what I can do. But I know that specialists now can do dual registration uh, as a general practitioner and as a specialist. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so who knows? Maybe in a few years' time, it might be something that I consider. But <laughs> the time being, I'm uh, I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing, sort of thing, and uh, see, see where it takes me. So, uh,
0: Twitter sort of. Uh, talking points that I want to touch on from, you know, our previous discussion. Uh, first is mentorship. Talk to me a little bit about like the role of mentorship in your early part of your career. Um, you know, how you found it, how you it out and like the pros and cons of it. Um, and then we'll move on to the next one.
1: Sure. Um, so my first clinic, uh, like I mentioned, I had a few friends that worked there, which kind of uh, made, made uh, mentorship a little bit easier because you're more comfortable to approach somebody that you have a personal relationship with uh, to ask for help. Than approaching a associate dentist or a, or a co worker who you've known all but a week, you know, yeah. um, because you'll find that in your first week you will need help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I found that mentorship from different uh, different number of people was beneficial and also had its shortcomings. Um, people are always happy to help if you're you know really really wanting to learn, um, but at the same point uh, later on in life when I look back, I. Um, I learned to take everything with a grain of salt. Um, you know, you will run into more experienced clinicians that have a wealth of knowledge. Um, and you also run into some experienced clinicians who have uh, less knowledge. So when you, when you ask for help, it's important that you seek out, you know, um, the, the answer from somebody, but at the same yeah. point, verify it. it. It's important to verify. It's, uh, yeah. uh but it's not always possible because sometimes you'll be in the middle of a surgical and, you know, a roots broken and you're trying to retrieve it and you don't have the time to go and, you know, research and see whether this, this approach is, is correct or not. So I found that in my first 12 months, I learned a lot by, um, by seeing. Um, yeah. It really solidified uh, in my knowledge and in my clinical ability when I actually did. So two methods of learning, I think, doing and seeing. And I think you can't really have one without the other yeah. If you go in there and start doing things yourself first you will have a lot of failures you will have a lot of complications you will run into a lot of redos and you may run into um, you know really difficult situations. If you learn only by seeing um, then you don't really get a feel for for doing that particular treatment and it's yeah. important to do those treatments not by yourself but in a controlled environment where You've planned beforehand. Um, you've kind of let a mentor or a senior associate know that, look, I've got this case coming up. I'm, I'm prepared to tackle it on. Are you comfortable to to jump in if I need you or to, to help out? And if you really don't have the backup on site, then you probably you should ask yourself, am I really comfortable doing this treatment? And if something goes wrong, can I, um, can I get myself out of trouble? Um, yeah. and am I doing right by my patient? Or should I be referring this case on to a senior associate or a specialist, and perhaps going and observing, you know? And it goes back to that kind of, uh, the way of learning by observation or, or assisting, you know?
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's something that early on, like you said, when coming out of down school, you kind of feel like, you know, you're, you got it all, you're like, you're all that. Um, and you start working in it, you know, a few times you get you get stuck, but you kind of get by and you're like, oh, that was a close call. Like I should have been a bit more prepared for that. Um, and that's something that we, we talked about last time. I think you were lucky in the sense that when you started working as a new grad, you, you were in a practice where other dentists were there, other dentists were there to, you know, willing to help you or bail you out or mentor you if you if you had mm-hmm. questions. Whereas the re- reality for a lot of dentists nowadays, especially I think maybe more in North America, where like every dentist owns like six practices, and it's like just you know new guys kind of just dropped into a practice and they're like essentially the principal there, just kind of running the show by themselves it's hard to grow and like push your boundaries because you're, you're, you don't have that backup there in case, in case you do get stuck and things like that. Yeah. So um, I think that certainly stunted my growth a little bit. And that initial confidence I had kind of start to, you know, wean away when I was like kind of getting stuck a little bit and I was like, man, I should really like cool it a bit and just like work my way back up. So that's great. So when you were in these practices, you had the confidence that someone's there to bail you out. Tell me a little bit from, you know, obviously we talked about last time how planning comes into it. And the more you plan for a case, the the more you're prepared for you know possible things that can go wrong. Um, mm. The more confident you are during the procedure.
1: Mm.
0: Tell me a little bit about the confidence that we didn't talk about this last time. I don't think the confidence of you know presenting big cases, presenting bigger treatment plans to patients. And I think you know, based on the frequency of stuff that you're posting on sort of Instagram, like the amount of cases you're doing, I mean, it's one to have like the, the skill set for sure. Like, obviously, if, if I can do implants, if I can do ortho, I can offer it to the patient confidently. Mm. Um, but I still think case acceptance um, and, you know, case presentation is a big part of dentistry because you're you're trying to advocate for the patient, offer them the best possible treatment. And sometimes, yeah, that's a bigger price tag associated with that. So as a new grad, you sometimes you struggle to like talk about these bigger cases because in your mind, you're like, okay, well, one crown, that's like 1500 is a lot of money for me. Like, I'm not going to present eight crowns to the patient because it like mm-hmm. seems like ridiculous, but you have to get there. So tell me a little bit about that journey for you um, in terms of the case presentation side of things.
1: Um, look, I really um, I really got into more comprehensive, these types of bigger cases uh, when I moved on to my second practice, and I think it really came down to the way the practice was built. Um, if your practice is built on treatment planning uh, comprehensively, then it will be a lot easier to communicate to patients these bigger types of treatments. Certainly, if you have the skill to do the treatment, it makes things a lot easier. And I mean, I, I ran into I ran into some interesting situations when I first graduated um, with, with these bigger cases. Um, I mean, I I was confident enough to be able to speak to the patient. I had done the education to back up and allow me to do the treatment. Um, but being a slightly younger clinician in a in a clinic where I'm, um, you know, I've been an associate for six months in my second practice, you know, we would treatment plan big cases, but the patient will say, yeah, that's fine, but I want the principal to do it. Yeah. So you kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, a kick in the guts a little bit, but you you kind of think back and say, well, if I was in the patient's shoes, you know, would I be confident to have somebody, you know, remove all my teeth and place four implants that was, you know, four or five years out of uni? Probably not. I um, <laughs> to say that, you know, if we're four or five years out, we can't do that type of treatment. Not at all. I think it really comes down to the patient expectations. Um, I, I learned that the hard way. Um, I've, I've kind of reached the point now where I'm very, very blunt with patients when it comes to possible complications, um, uh, their expectations versus what I believe I can deliver. Um, and if you really have that honest conversation with the patient, I think they, they gain your trust um sorry, you gain their trust in, in that you can you can fulfill their expectations or meet their concerns or, or whatever it may be. Um, when you know more about something, you speak more confidently. Um, yeah. but, uh, at the same point, I've met some clinicians who, who know a lot of theory, a lot of theory really, really well. Um, and it's interesting when you meet people from different unis, uh, you can see the difference in, uh, in knowledge um, theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. as well as uh, clinically, uh, I've got friends that can recite journal articles off the top of their head. You know, I can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, when it comes to implementing, um, the hands really need to back up the, uh, the theoretical. So, you know, you can get some clinicians that can sell ice to an Eskimo, but when it comes to uh, clinical application, it might not be the same story. Which is fine. I mean, it's 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 great to be able to be a good communicator, and I think that's what really it comes down to. Can yeah. you communicate effectively to the patient? Um, and if you can get them over the line and you're not comfortable for the treatment, then you've done your practice as a really, really good service. You've you know, helped a patient. You've referred a case on to a more senior uh, dentist or principal. And you've gone and assisted or observed and learned. That's free yeah. CPD, man. You can't get that anyway. <laughs> such a great t- That's such a great tip. I think a lot of
0: people can become short-sighted and I'm like oh I lost, I lost my production for that blah, blah blah but to see it the way you saw it is very like in a, you know positive like growth mindset kind of way like i'm I'm gonna learn from this case that I diagnosed and treatment planned and I can watch somebody else do it for once or twice or three times, and then I can see how they do it and pick it up and kind of you know incorporate that myself going forward yeah um so did you have you done any sort of training in communication or anything like that, or is that something that you've just been not, like you know more comfortable with naturally and just have you know mm. shifted your focus more to the clinical side of things?
1: Hmm. I mean, when I compare my first practice to my second practice, it's the worlds apart. Uh, the first practice was, um, you know, we were seeing patients, short appointments, um, you know, sometimes I was seeing 12 to 14 patients in six or seven hours and it was kind of patients in, patients out, waiting rooms full of, full of patients, uh, six surgeries, pumping, two hygienists. Like it was, you know, it, it was really, really overwhelming and you kind of feel like, okay, as a new graduate, I've got all these patients waiting. I need to finish treatment really, really quickly. Um, when I changed practice, it was, it was a bit different, you know, um, it was all about taking a step back, slowing down, uh, comprehensive treatment planning, spending more time with each patient, um, getting more quality work done and, uh, spending a longer time with a patient means that you kind of build that rapport indirectly as well. Even though you're in the mouth the whole time doing treatment, if a patient's willing to spend two or three hours with you, then they've really entrusted you with their care. So I would always sit in on the new patient consults with my boss. For my first 12 months, I was in there. Every single new patient exam, I blocked off in my book. And I was there just watching how he communicated with patients, how he um, provided metaphors or analogies to patients to kind of get a a point across, you know. But six months in, I felt that even though I'm learning uh, from him, I need to do something myself. And I find that when you go and spend money on a course yourself, you really want to implement it because you've just dropped two grand or three grand on the course. And (laughs) I've spent the money. So I really need to put this into practice. So I went ahead and did prime. um, I think it was uh, in February of 2016. Yeah. Six months or eight months after moving up to Townsville. And it really, uh, really put things into perspective for me, even though I was kind of living through it at work, you know, hearing it every single day. Um, even from the nurses, you know, the whole practice was built around that philosophy. Um, when you do the course yourself, it's a little bit different. Um, but I've also chatted to, to friends and, uh, uh, who have different approaches. I mean, uh, Prime teaches that, you know, every, every patient can be treated in a similar approach, but I think when you factor in patient psychology and, and, and all those sort of things and, and the demographics of a particular area, you know, Prime is great. I loved it. Uh, but in the real world, there's you know there's lots of different people that you run into. So, having discussed with friends, uh, you pick up tips as well on yeah. small tips here or there, small phrases that just stick with you and say, "Oh my god, that makes sense." You know, yeah. if I say that to a patient, you know, there's no there's no grey area. It's just. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
0: I love that. Those tidbits are really good. I I personally like I listen to obviously a lot of like different podcasts, um, like dental ones, and like that's where I learn a lot of it. Like a lot of it, I get, you pick up little, little phrases or tidbits, and you're like, wow, I can like drop that every patient, and it'll just, it'll just work every time. So, um, for me, that's something that early on I've been pretty interested in because I I figured, even if it's just you know, fillings and crowns and like simple work the more you can do of that, obviously the more your books will be full and you can kind of you know, grow as a clinician that way. So I think that's, that's been a, has been a really positive investment so far, like my early part of my career. And I think I encourage a lot of people to, especially if they're not naturally a little bit more you know, confident with speaking and presenting to patients that they should really invest. And I'll, I'll put a link to prime because I think that in prime in Australia, prime seems to be a pretty popular, um, yeah. A program and course for a lot of dentists and practices. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's uh, talk and uh, let's go to your, you know, your hustle a little bit here, your bread and butter sort of like implants and soft tissue stuff. I know that's, that's something that you're passionate about and you're, you're teaching and you're running courses and, and modules and hands-on uh, components as well. Uh, talk to me if you can about your implant journey, sort of like from where you started. And uh, like we talked about last time you started taking some, you know, you did a live patient course um, and then realizing you need some structured program. So tell me a little bit about your implant journey so far in your career and uh, where you hope to take it
1: going forward. Yeah, I mean, for me, the interest has always been there in surgery and uh, and specifically implants. Um, I remember attending the Young Dentist Conference when I was in final year. Uh, that was in Sydney, August 20, uh, 2013. And I ran to a, uh, to a guy who I'd met once before um, at one of the uh, dental conventions, uh, student dental conventions. And uh, when I ran into him at... Um, the um uh, the new graduate course um we, we kind of got chatting and he was just he just started his uh, his formal education in implant work and i remember actually opening up my phone and just writing the name of the course and said you know you know this is going to be on bookmark i'm going to hit it up you know once on i'm out um and then you know when i decided to make the move to townsville i kind of uh, spoke to my boss at the time and he recommended a live surgical program um and that's when i made the decision to to do that and i Part of the confidence in in doing that only at the beginning was that I was going back to a practice that did a lot of implants, and um, I was with a an ethical boss who treatment plan cases who looked at cases from every angle. Um, so I kind of knew that that mentorship would be would be enough to kind of get me by once I've completed this this so called life surgery course. And you know, for the first 40 or 50 implants, I had, uh, I had Matt come in and he, he, he held my hand basically. You know, placing 20 implants on, on patients in a week just isn't enough. You know, it's, it's a start, it gets your, uh, your confidence up, it allows you to kind of feel um, and experience what it feels like to place implants. Um, but there's just so much voids, so many many voids in, in in your knowledge. And having a mentor there, looking over your shoulder and checking your angulation and checking uh, your you know your flap and your closure uh, every step of the way was just invaluable. Um, you then get to a point where you kind of um, it becomes monkey see, monkey do, and that's that's not implant dentistry. Uh, that's not dentistry at all, actually. Um, so I think I got to the point where after. 12 months of placing implants or 16 months of placing implants I've placed I think around 450 implants I realise there's, you know, there's too many voids uh, I need to be able to think for myself um, having a mentor there as, as we discussed last time it gives you a, a bit of a psychological support but yeah. it, it can be to the point that you don't think for yourself um, you've got that psychological dependence on somebody being in the room next door that if I do something wrong they will bail me out um, and it's not the case unless you're an employee and you're operating under the vicarious liability. Um, it's, you know, everything that you do is, is kind of on you. So you need to really think about your cases. And I, and I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm treatment planning my cases, but if all goes wrong, I'll just have somebody come in to kind of bail me out. So... That's when I kind of started researching into programs um, that would allow me to be more independent uh, in my thinking, in my treatment planning, and also in my implementation. You know, my boss isn't going to always be there. You know, he takes trips, he takes CPD courses, I might be in the clinic on my own, and the patient's booked in for an implant. Can I confidently place the implant or provide the service to my patient on my own with no assistance, you know? Um, so mentorship was great, but it kind of having said that when I found that I was developing that psychological dependence on somebody else, that's when I realized like I need to do something more. And, um, I, I kind of went and just, you know, said, let's do it, put my, uh, <laughs> made the decision to do, to do a more structured, uh, course in a tertiary institution. And, uh, it's, it's been great. It's been a great experience for me. Um, in, uh, in kind of allowing me to do more treatments and, uh, and, you know, we, we get into debates now, we get into discussions that work about, you know, which treatment approach is best. And that in itself has been a really, really big uh, motivator and inspiration for me to go ahead and read more and learn more, um, and try alternate techniques. Um,
0: yeah,
1: it did make sense to me when I, it was explained to me. Um, and, um, and yeah, implementing, trying and, uh, and getting feedback, documenting your cases because when you document your cases, the first thing you look at isn't the good; the first thing you look at is where you went wrong. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> I've been doing that too. I think it's a really uh, you know positive way to grow. Like like I said, documenting photography and just being honest with yourself in your critique of your own your own work. Um, so when choosing a more structured implant course after you did the, the uh, live one, you mentioned uh, you know there's like tertiary ones like through a university program. Um, there's also a lot of you know modular based like private mm-hmm. sort of CPD programs and things like that. now you mentioned one, uh, I think it's called uh, G- Guide or something uh, last yeah. time. Yeah. Um. So t- talk to me a little bit about the two options there because um, I know a lot of people who are listening uh, who may be considering, you know, do I go back to school and do something a bit more formal to get like a you know formal degree with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, I can just take a little bit more in-depth CPD sort of approach to it and do a sort of, sort of a modular program. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me, now. I know you've, you know, you've obviously thought about this a lot in you know choosing between the two paths. But also, you've, you've come across a lot of people who've done both or either one. Uh, talk to me a little bit about pros and cons of those ones.
1: Look, I think um, there's really no wrong answer as to what you do. Um, I think if, if I could have it any way, I will do every course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, every course, you'll pick something up. Um, I'm, I've spent some time with, uh, with Sasha, who, who does run the guide program. He uh, did a sinus lift course uh, with Chris Ho uh, last year. And I was fortunate enough to to attend that, and you know I picked up uh, a lot of tips, uh, a lot of little gems that you know I had never thought about or I'd never uh, never been taught. Um, I think uh, doing any structured program that is not just you know a simple come in, we teach you how to place implants in two days, you work on a model, and then you can go out and place implants. I think anything beyond that, you find that if if it's a modular program and it's well structured, you have a look at the curriculum, have a look at uh, what will be covered, have a look at the speakers um you know there's a lot of courses out there now there's a lot of speakers out there now and uh, it's important for you to kind of uh, really really research uh, these programs yeah. um, i've had a few friends that have done the guide program and love it uh, my friend from perth who i mentioned earlier he's you know his clinical practice is 80 75 to 80 percent implant work now he's a general practitioner wow. um yeah. you know and um guides set him on that path to be able to confidently treatment plan cases to be uh mentored by specialists um, to be able to place you know uh, implants and and do comprehensive treatment Um, I guess the program uh, that I did in Germany was a little bit different it was a university program and you know we're fortunate enough to have those types of programs here in Australia Um, you know the grad dip at Sydney Uni and uh, Charles III as well as JCU Um, it's you know when you're learning in a university setting it's it's a little bit different it's formal it's formal education. It's just like your undergrad, you know. Um, yeah. There's examinations. There's, um, there's, uh, there's things that need to be ticked off and signed off and uh, you're accountable for everything that you do, um, for everything that you write. Um, so it really instills, as a bare minimum, discipline. Um, so when you go into cases after you've done a very, very structured program, you are now disciplined to treatment plan the case from start to finish. Um, have a look at what could possibly go wrong. Uh, communicate all that effectively to a patient. Um, execute the treatment and manage any complications that go with it. Because you've you've kind of when you have to do a master thesis, uh, that's that's six, yeah. <laughs> head, that's yeah. six months mostly, six months of writing, uh, yeah. six months of editing. It's it's hard work, and I think if you can get through that you put the same effort into your, into your cases. Um, I mean, some people do those programs for the wrong reason. Um, it's, it's about getting the letters or it's about, you know, just saying that I can, I've got a master's degree or a postgrad diploma in, in author or in implants or, 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 whatever it may be. Um, so you really got to ask yourself, why are you doing the program? Um, what are you looking to get out of the program? And, um, uh, is there something that would be more suitable to, to meet your, your expectations from said program? Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So there's one big question I have, and I think it'll be a lot of uh, good value from it. So, you know, knowing what you know now and sort of the courses and everything you've gone through, say uh, one of the listeners right now, like say, for example, myself, like, you know, we're working in practices where, you know, we're busy, we're doing some good work, mm. but you know, if, like you're interested in implants, for example, and implants like, you know, unlike endo or unlike like, you know, indirect restorations There's a big sort of like barrier to entry in terms of material costs and, and things that you need in the practice kind of set up. Mm. And so is it worthwhile, like, do you, do you how do you, how would you sequence it? Would you find the job first that is an environment where they will be nurturing you and have already, you know, placing implants and things like that. And then you can kind of do the training to catch up to the rest of the clinicians in that practice and kind of get going. Mm. Or is it worthwhile to, you know, speak to your you know current job and be like, I want to do implants. As an investment for, for myself and maybe the practice and do you think they'll kind of accommodate you that way if if someone's in a practice that's not doing implants but they want to do implants basically um what, what would you be your advice to them
1: first of all speak to your principal or speak to your practice owner or whoever may be um maybe in charge um implant inventory is a big outlay. Uh, implant marketing is a big investment um, so if you're in a practice that's uh, not really uh, driven that way uh, because the principal might not be doing implants or whatever it may be, or they don't want to you know, absorb the liability that comes with implants um, from somebody who's never placed implants, then you really think about uh, that discussion first prior to either one, uh, paying for the inventory yourself, or two, going ahead and investing in a program. Certainly, I don't think that should be a hindrance from doing the education. I think yeah. um, you will gain knowledge. You will never um, fall, you will never be at a loss uh, by doing a either a structured program or a modular program in implants if your practice doesn't do implants. It's more so what everyone looks at is the ROI. Can I implement? Yeah. <laughs> um, on, on a lower scale, I did a composite resin course um, in June last year and I went back to practice and I didn't implement. Mm-hmm. I didn't implement what I learned for six months and I forgot everything. I, you know, the little tips and tricks that were in my mind that I remembered when I left the course were no longer there. So it just became kind of like I'm winging now. I'm just winging it. Um, yeah. and I had a refresher two weeks ago, three weeks ago with, uh, with Brad and Johan uh, and, Johann, and yeah. I said, I'm not going to make the same mistake again. Um, I've seen four.
0: you implementing it a lot. Actually, as <laughs> a lot of the posterior conferences and yes. stuff. So it's good.
1: <laughs> So I said, you know, I'm going to go back to practice, and the first patient that needs uh, a resin, I will implement what I've learned. So if you go ahead and invest in a on a larger scale or on in an implant course, you know, we, we might be talking fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, and you don't implement, then yeah, you you may forget what you've learned, um, yeah. may um, find be discouraged to place implants six months from now because you feel that you don't have the confidence or. Uh, or that sort of thing. Another approach would be to find a mentor, not necessarily in your practice, um, and uh, go and observe, um, whether it be a specialist, whether it be a colleague, whether it be a, a friend, um, go and observe. And perhaps, you know, if you've got patients uh, that require treatment um, in your practice, um, you know, a, a lot of the good implant companies now will provide you with uh, inventory for your first few cases uh, they'll bring the surgical kit, they'll bring the surgical motor, um, they'll bring the implants that you need, the healing abutments, et cetera, um, and provide that service. I mean, I work closely with a couple of companies um, and I found that service when it comes to to, to implant work is key. It, yeah. you know, it's if you can have that and have a mentor there with you, um, then you know you can slowly get into the process of providing that service and maybe, um, your principal dentist uh, may be more open to the idea of uh, investing or, or helping you uh, set up a bit of a, a an implant, um, an implant service in in that clinic.
0: Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think the big fork is uh, the, for, the big fork in the road is, do you take CPD that fits your current practice and allows you to maximize your current role? Um, or do you seek a role that Get to where you want to get to, like long term, yeah. um, I think that's a big decision a lot of people have to make, uh, including myself. I think because you you, you know, if, if you know, you're like in five years' time, I want to be doing implants, I want to be doing this and this and this, and your current position doesn't really facilitate that, then you, you got to decide, okay, maybe I'm, or if I got to don't change all my courses to like worn dentition and like pros related mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. so you got to kind of decide that, I think, pretty early on in your career, and that's a um, it can, you know, change how your career should actually kind of go. So it's, uh, it's a big, uh, and interesting choice to make. The point about the structured learning, I think is great. And I, like, I've, like we talked about, I think, you know, there's three or four of you guys in, in Australia that I've met now and have all done the program or in the process of doing the program and are just doing like, you know, great work. So I, I think it looks like it's a positive step to take if that's where you are in your career and you're sort of ready to take on that responsibility. Uh, one thing I'd like to talk about a little bit, if you don't mind, is just your mindset, um, doing these programs because obviously a lot of it is on your own time after work and you gotta make sure you're like responsible, like you said, and you build the good habits by doing it. But mm. where does that motivation come from? Is it uh like professional satisfaction or is it the potential of like the ROI side of things? talk to me a little bit about that like growth mindset that you've had since you've graduated that you know like, no, I want better, I want more, I wanna be I want to be better in my job. Um, Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that because I think a lot of people, you know, we get into that comfort comfortable space and we're like, we go to work and we just do what we got to do and it's like stress free and we come home and we're like relaxed. Uh, whereas some people want to continuously like push themselves and challenge themselves at work, even though it might come with like more stress or more liability and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your mindset because I'm interested to see sort of what pushed you through all this uh, this
1: period. I mean, w- when, you, when you think about the way you practice it, uh, every, everybody's different. And I think uh, what for me was, was I, I guess, the, uh, what, what triggered uh, or the catalyst for me to, to get into something like that was um, was I realized how little I know. Um, the deficiencies in my knowledge, even though I was doing more extensive treatment was, was becoming more and more um, visible every day. You know, I would be doing cases and I would realize that okay, this doesn't look too right. Um, I was getting advice from people and I realized, well, I could, you know, I could have avoided these situations had I had the proper training and education. Um, the other thing is, if you think about, you know, I want to provide what's best for my patient, um, it really does uh, confront you. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, if I've just gone ahead and spent a weekend and did a course on on implants and I'm ready to place my first implant, is that really enough knowledge? Um, And the other thing is was influence from colleagues. You know, when you associate yourself with a group of people who are pushing you day in, day out, uh, one, one, you don't want to fall behind and two, uh, you're motivated to do more and more because you want to be at a level where you can fit in with that group. You know, and I don't think it should be the only driving factor, but I think for me personally, it's, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to associate with four or five people that really did influence me early on in my career. Uh, they really challenged me. They said it like it is. You know, if I did something that wasn't 100% correct, they, I knew about it. And it wasn't coming from a position of arrogance or jealousy or, or you know, uh, that sort of thing. It was coming from a position of, I want you to do better. So I'm telling you like it is. Yeah, um, and, and the feeling is mutual, you know, um, I'm, getting, I'm getting a few people who are very, very close to me who ask me questions and I'll say, look, if I can be blunt, because really I do want you to do better, um, and, and privately just guide them in, in rectifying a case or, or way to avoid this in the future. So uh, having those three or four things influence me, um, you know, realizing how little I know, having people that kind of really pushed me beyond my, uh, beyond my boundaries... Um, I said, well, you know, it's important to kind of get the right education. Um, yeah. me, it was a structured program. It doesn't need to be a, a you know, a university based program, as long as it's a program that um, is all encompassing of a particular discipline, encourages you to do other courses. You know, I'm, I'm running some courses next year, but it's not the be all and end all. I encourage every person who attends one of our courses to go and do more courses because you'll never learn everything from one person. Um, uh, I've been influenced by a lot of great people in Europe, a lot of great people in Australia, a lot of great people in the States. Uh, Instagram now has become a very, very big learning platform. Uh, you form networks and, uh, and you know, alliances with people and and they're, they're more than happy to help you. A lot of these guys are specialists, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. When you've, got, when you've got humble specialists who are willing to help younger people who really have a desire to learn, like, you know, the Chris Ho's, the Tony Rotondo's, um the Stephen chens all these guys who are happy to teach uh younger people um because ultimately it's, it really comes down to to the patient doesn't it um yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> i think that's great I th- you dropped a few like gems in there i think that one motivating factor of just providing the best possible care for the patient i think that's huge and it's like pretty overlooked. I don't think many people in their mindset, like they might be like, okay, one is like professional satisfaction, two is like money or, or whatever. Um, but I think that putting that patient, you know, putting the best patient care possible as the forefront of like your motivation to be better that's huge. I think that's like the right mindset for it. Um, and two was the, you know, like uh, it's a common phrase of like, you're the average of like the five people you hang out with the most. And like, that was like, I think that's a huge point that you made. Like if you're amongst people who motivate you and are pushing you, if you're not just like hanging out with like the same old crowd that are just complacent and just like uh, your high school friends or whatever, um, it's, it's important because like it pushes you, it drives you to be better and do better work and, and try and catch up to them and stay, stay in the conversation. So you don't get left behind essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's a fantastic point. I think that's something that um, everyone should try and do. And I think Instagram is good for that, because even if you're in your surrounding town or your environment, you don't have people that are like that. You can always like have people on Instagram that are posting more regularly yeah. and you try and interact with them and try and keep up with them in that way. I
1: think personal personal satisfaction is also something that I did overlook and you and you mentioned it. And I think you know patients can see that. you know yeah. um, when you spend the time to do a layered posterior resin that the patient will never see, um, you're placing the rubber dam and the patient's kind of looking up at you like what are you doing just get this done it was funny because i had a patient a few weeks ago and you know i was i had a new nurse that was training with me and i said look you know yeah these feelings can be done in 10 minutes <laughs> uh, you know the patient was in the chair and he's like what we're 40 minutes into the appointment and we haven't finished yet <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I said, but it's, it's all about restoring nature for the patient um, yeah. The patient's not going to see this restoration. He might not appreciate the anatomy that you've put in, or you know, the biomimetic caries that Johan always puts in, or, or, or already. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you take pride in that restoration, uh, you're not providing the patient with a filling. You're providing them with a restoration. Um, yeah. You're restoring uh, what they had. Um, and you know, I took the rubber dam off the patient at the end, and he looked up, and I showed him the photos, and he said. Now I understand why you took 45 minutes to do two feelings instead of 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I walked away kind of, yeah, I was satisfied with what I did, but I was also more happy that the patient understood where we're coming from and we're actually doing it for for, for the best interest of the patient. Um, we, We leave home, we leave and go home and we're very happy with the service that we've provided because we've done what's best by our patient. Um and the patient leaves knowing that they've committed their care to somebody um who's who's looking at you know, who's dotting their dotting their I's and crossing their T's as they say. Yeah. Um the patient, yeah. <laughs> you know, it comes out. That's like, huge. I think if you look at
0: it from the patient's perspective, you know, they've been going to dentist their whole life and they're in and out and they're there's like other amalgam, it's like a massive amalgam with like a Toffelmeyer band or something, and they come into like, you know, one of our practices where you know we're you know trying to do good work, so we got a rubber dam, we're taking photos, we're like micro etching, and like mm. and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like I've never experienced this. So I think um, if you, I mean, you, the patient education is a little bit of a factor. Like this is why we're doing what we're doing, and it's for your benefit, and we're trying to just do something that's gonna kind of last longer and function better, and and cause less issues in the long term. But I think you also get to enjoy like if you're taking pictures of your work. It means you're not trying to hide anything. For one, like the patient, I think can pick up on that. Mm. So I think, yeah, there's nothing bad that comes from it. It just maybe takes a little bit more time. So maybe like you're less productive, but I think at least you're allocate happier. More
1: time. Definitely allocate more yeah. time when you start documenting your work. I mean, I I was probably documenting only my author work uh, early on, and then I think yeah. after 18 months, I started to document everything. And you, you know, one of my big inspirations on Instagram is a friend of Johan and and Barat um, in in the UK. And, uh, you know, when it comes to photography and dentistry says dentistry is passion fueled by photography, you know, takes photos of every case, he sees what could have been better and and, and it motivates you. And when you, when you see where you've come, when you look at photos that you've done 18 months ago of cases and you've done the same case now, the difference is, is phenomenal. You know, if you, if you're putting your, your mind to it and you're putting in the effort, you'll find that you, you, you do improve. You do improve. Your hand skills get better. um, Yeah. When you you know when you see more, you can do more. Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. I think yeah, photography is a big game changer. Just being able to blow things up and look at them a bit larger, and you see like all your deficient areas and things Mm -hmm. like that. um, Definitely mixed environment for. For growth, um, so before we kind of wrap things up, uh, I want to talk about your course a little bit because I know it's coming up. Um, so you got a you know a live patient component of it. Um, you got some modules coming up as well. Talk to me a little bit about your course and you know what you're hoping to uh, provide over the next few years for
1: for participants. Yeah, so uh, next year we've got a couple of live surgical training courses coming up. Um, we've got an, a basic course that's running in Cambodia um, and a, a more advanced course uh, for people who do have experience with the implants in, in Malaysia. Um, and I guess the course aims to, um, the, the basic course I should say, aims to provide uh, provide participants with the, an experience in placing implants uh, under the mentorship of, of clinicians who are from Australia who practice everyday dentistry in Australia by Australian standards. And I think it's important to kind of uh, highlight that point because you know, there's a lot of courses over there, uh, out there that you know you'll go and you'll place 20, 30 implants in a week's time, and and you know the standard of care in, in another in another country might not be the same that what it is here. So, having experience with a live surgery course, it was it was a good kind of look at what I would love to provide and what um, what I experienced. Uh, but we've also acknowledged the fact that a uh, you know, live surgical course as we touched on prior is, is not the be on and end-all You know uh, the biological foundation and the theoretical knowledge is just as important um, So we've put together a few modules uh, starting probably the second half of next year uh, a five modular program um, That covers everything in implants um, from start to finish in terms of documentation uh, treatment planning um, setting your practice up for implants um, how to market implants? Uh, how to train your staff in implants? Uh, That's huge. Yeah. Prosthetics, um, you know, simple single unit bridges, uh, complex socket grafting, uh, GBR, um, as well as uh, you know the soft tissue side of things, which I'm, I'm quite passionate about, um, yeah. as well as. Um, you know, uh, just the knowledge on some full arch solutions as well. Not necessarily suitable for every clinician to go ahead and do, okay. uh, but it's, it's important to know. It's important to know what's available or out there, so you can at least educate your patients prior to yeah. referring them on if you're not comfortable to do um, the more extensive uh, cases. And um, the, the the theoretical component will will include hands on, uh, hands on on models, hands on on animal heads. Um, you know, hands on photography um, to get people into the into the good habits of, you know, documenting their work, uh, treatment planning um, and, and that sort of thing. And I I do have a passion for teaching. I do have a passion for sharing knowledge. Um, you know, just like people helped me when I was younger in my career, I look, uh, you know, I kind of look forward to helping people not make the mistakes. I did because I made mistakes when I first started and yeah. uh, it's important to acknowledge those mistakes and not hide from them and, uh, and, and learn from them and help others avoid them. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: So in terms of the, sequence would you recommend maybe doing the modular component first uh, before doing the live patient like a hands-on uh, component or do, what do you think would uh, be more
1: valuable for participants it's a good question i think um look personally i don't think you could go wrong either way um but if i was to have to recommend one i would say probably get get the theoretical side of things done first and the way we're actually structuring it is um we're spacing the modules out a lot of courses that I've, uh, I've had friends attend, or I've attended, have had the modules really close together. So you know, you're learning basic stuff, basic stuff, and then bam, you're into a lot of advanced uh, techniques, mm-hmm. and you haven't even had time to implement the basic stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, the the three later modules will be more comprehensive or more complex type treatments like GBR and soft tissue grafting and full arch solutions. So we wanna we want to space them out a little bit. So the first two are relatively close together. And the last three modules will be, you know, a few months down the track. In that break for the uh, the modular program, we're looking at providing a live surgery stream as well. So, oh so that way, as a group, they're together for the theoretical, and they can also, if they wish, halfway through go and do the live surgical component in Cambodia uh, or wherever it may be. Um, so they can implement what they've learned in module yep. one. Um, the flip side is if they've done the live surgery already um, and they're enrolled in the, the modular program, then they can do module one or two. They've already got the practical experience, but now they have a biological foundation and a, a kind of a treatment planning philosophy that will help them to put what they've learned from the practical into practice in uh, in, in private practice with a solid biological foundation and, and scientific uh, backing. So yeah, you, you can't go wrong either way. Uh, if I was to do it, I'd probably do the theoretical first.
0: Sounds sounds like it makes more sense that way. You have the backing and then you kind of get your hands wet afterwards. Yeah. Um, that's great. So I'll, I'll uh, for sure post all the information. Uh, if you can send me the links and everything um, in the show notes cool. for anyone uh, interested in attending. Um, I think I think it's great. And I think the fact that, you know, you're teaching it and obviously you have partners and things like that as well. Um, I and mean, one is obviously you're a general dentist. You're still like for the year fairly uh, early in your career so you can relate to some of the new grads and like the stuff they're going to be dealing with and the kind of the, the pitfalls and things like that so i think you're more relatable which means like the learning experience will be much more relevant um if you have like some 30 30 or uh 30 year practicing like periodontist or oral surgeon they might not relate with like your small issues with, like raising a flap or something or like that because like for them it's like two they don't think about those kind of things anymore maybe necessarily so yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of good value. I think it's going to be a great po- program and a great course, um, and I, you know, I wish you success in that as well. Like going forward, and I think it's going to be something that oh, I'm always um,
1: happy for people to kind of email questions and, and text for questions. Sure. I mean, uh, on a weekly basis, I'm getting uh, you know final year students um, or first year graduates asking questions about you know extractions or which courses to do, etc. So I'm always happy to kind of help in that regard. If it means getting you on the right path to you know selecting the correct CPD or or maybe. Yeah off For the minute and kind of mastering some basic uh, basic stuff first, and yeah, always happy to kind of help and uh, and guide in that regard as well.
0: That's great. And I think that's huge for uh, for our Instagram too. I'll, obviously, I'll put your show notes for in the show notes your Instagram account as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's growing pretty rapidly. I think uh, obviously you're putting a lot of work towards it and it's, it's paying dividends. So building the brand, which is awesome, and what mm-hmm. we're all kind of uh, doing as a bit of a side hustle too. So mm-hmm. um, all right. So what we like to do is just kind of wrap things up on a bit of a rapid fire here. Um, so. Uh, I'll get into it. So, what is your uh, favorite pizza topping?
1: You asked me last time, and then I like, "What the hell?" <laughs> Mushrooms last time, but um, I, I really <laughs> like chili. Chili, chili, chili. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, if you weren't a dentist, uh, what pro- what uh, profession would you be in?
1: I would be playing professional football,
0: being a footballer. Yeah, I think you talked about being a footballer last time. So, you, what positions you play when you're uh, when you're in it?
1: I was an attacking center mid. Um, yeah. I did like to get a bit more forward, um, but I, I really love that attacking mid position.
0: Yeah. Do you have some good pace or?
1: Um, I had good endurance, good fitness and, you know, box to box type stuff. I was, uh, I was relatively quick, but, when it okay. came to you, what kind of game that. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I was a big soccer player as well. I mean, I, I was a goalkeeper. Um, so really? I, similar to you, yeah. So similar to you, I was you know like during high school and stuff. I was playing pretty competitively in university as well. Um, and then, like you said, the the immigrant uh, parents kind of <laughs> persuade you <laughs> towards academics a little bit more. So it kind of shifts your priorities a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I still look back with I'm like, oh, what if like <laughs> I could pursue pursued a bit more? Yeah. When I got to Australia, though, I started playing futsal. Futsal is pretty big here and uh-huh. like in, so- in southeast. Asia and stuff too so um yeah I started playing pretty competitively in in, 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 uh, in Melbourne like in the V league and things like that which is pretty cool um so what uh, procedure if you could do only one procedure in dentistry what
1: would it be uh surgery just surgery
0: surgery? yeah Yeah. uh what's one procedure that kind of makes you question your career choice in dentistry
1: contrary to my last post on instagram probably molar root canal (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) and <laughs> what's your uh what's your like go-to footwear for work are you like a sneakers kind of guy dress shoes kind of guy
1: i wear scrubs to work so i do wear sneakers um yeah i find it's it's a lot more comfortable that breathes a lot better and if you're comfortable yeah. you're gonna be able to do better. Work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: do more work. were you ever like a suit and tie kind of guy at work um, you've always been scrubs?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. slacks and a polo um i've never yeah. been a suit and tie um but um uh, yeah. It actually took me a long time to get uh, over that boundary of wearing scrubs. I never never really wanted it until I actually got into scrubs. And I was like, yeah, now I can see what the hype's about. It's pretty comfortable.
0: I used yeah. to be like, in my first year, I was like full scrubs, like scrub top and bottom with sneakers. And then I was like, that's a bit much. So now I just wear like dress pants and scrub top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, dressed it up a little bit, but it's been great. Yeah. Uh, David, man, thanks a lot for uh, coming back on. Uh, it's yeah. pretty embarrassing on my part to uh, lose the first one. But I think I think the second one's probably a little bit, better anyways. Uh, we've gone right. through it once. A lot of great value, a lot of great talking points um, with implants and surgeries. Certainly not a lot of general dentists, uh, certainly this early in their career that are doing like the amount of you know, work that you're doing. So um, I think it's pretty inspirational and it's cool to kind of talk to you and, and see what your journey was like. So if people have questions, I'm certain I'll uh, guide them towards your Instagram page. And um, if you can send me your course details as well, that'd be great. We'll mm-hmm. post them up
1: for anyone interested in implant dentistry. Awesome. Thanks for the chat, man. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Thanks.